Hello, dear friends. Welcome to the Mighty Warriors podcast, a podcast dedicated to inspire and encourage you to experience a deeper intimacy with God and to be transformed by His Word in your everyday life. I'm Colette Crea, your host, and we're continuing to journey with Joseph. And today, his life is going to change in a very surprising way. Greetings to all of you, my friends. Welcome to episode 36, where we are continuing our journey with Joseph. When we last saw Joseph, he was working for Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard who purchased him from the Ishmaelites. When Potiphar saw how God had blessed Joseph and how skilled and trustworthy he was in everything he did, he promoted him as his attendant. It is during that time that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him in engaging in an extramarital affair, but he adamantly refused. Day after day, she persisted, but he stood his ground. One day, however, while Joseph was attending to his duties and that all the servants were out of the house, she again made her advances. But as Joseph ran out of the house to avoid her inappropriate advances, she took his shirt. With this shirt in hand, she explained to her servants that Joseph had tried to force her into bed, but that she screamed, which alarmed him and made him flee the scene. When her husband, Potiphar, returned, she shared the same story. Angry, he put Joseph into prison in place where the king's prisoners were confined. But God continued to be with Joseph and granted him favor even with the prisoner warden who put him in charge of all those who were held in that prison. This is where we ended our story. We learned what kind of man Joseph was, how we should respond in the face of temptation, and we also reflected on what happens when God is with us. Today, we will focus our attention on Genesis chapters 40 and 41, and we will discuss what we can learn from both of those chapters. In the prison where Joseph was confined, were two prisoners who used to be in Pharaoh's service, a chief cupbearer and a chief baker. Pharaoh had gotten angry with them and kept them in custody. The captain of the guard assigned these two prisoners to Joseph to attend to them. One night, these two men had significant dreams on the same night, and the next day they both looked very dejected. Puzzled, Joseph asked them why they were so sad, and they explained that they had dreams that were troubling their minds. Joseph encouraged them that God provides dream interpretation and that they should tell him their dreams. The chief cupbearer explained his dream first, and Joseph gave him a favorable interpretation. 
that he would be released within three days. Then Joseph urged him to not forget him once he would be restored back to his position as cupbearer to Pharaoh because he had been unjustly incarcerated. Encouraged by the favorable interpretation that Joseph provided, the chief baker shared his dream as well. Joseph gave him an interpretation that predicted his death. And we read the following in Genesis chapter 40, verses 20 through 23. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cup bearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I'll go on and read Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 through 8. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, slick and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven slick, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt, Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So what happened next? Then, this is when the chief cupbearer reappears in the story. He confesses to Pharaoh that he is being reminded of a time when he had not been in good terms with him and that he had put him in prison. And that during that time, a young man named Joseph interpreted his dream as well as that of the chief baker and that everything occurred as he had interpreted. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph and as he inquires on either he can interpret his dreams. As we read in Genesis chapter 41 verse 16, Joseph mentions, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph listened to the dreams and interpreted them. The dreams foretell of seven years of abundance and are followed by seven years of famine. Then Joseph says in Genesis verse 33 through 36, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth 
of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Then Pharaoh and his officials agree with what Joseph suggested. And Pharaoh mentions that nobody is more qualified than Joseph himself, in whom is the Spirit of God, and that there is no one as discerning and wise as he is. Pharaoh then officially puts him in charge of his palace and the people of the land. Joseph becomes second in command to Pharaoh. Not only does he get promoted, but Pharaoh changes his name to Zaphenath Panea and gives him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. During those years, he works at collecting the food during the years of abundance, but he too becomes abundant as two sons are born to him whom he names Manasseh and Ephraim. When the seven years of abundance ends, he opens the storehouses and sells grain to the Egyptians because indeed the famine was severe. There are four things I'd like to highlight that we can learn about God from these passages. The first thing that we learn from this passage is that God speaks through dreams. Here we had three men who had dreams, and although Joseph interpreted the dreams, he acknowledged that he was not the source of the interpretation. When he spoke to the chief baker and the chief cupbearer, he acknowledged in Genesis chapter 40, verse 8, Do not interpretations belong to God? Then, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 15, we read, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then, in verse 16, Joseph is quick to say, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. All throughout the Old and New Covenant Scriptures, we have examples of God speaking through dreams. There are 21 dreams in the Bible, and I'm going to give you a quick overview of each one of them with their scripture references, so you can always go back to each one of them and study them. Oftentimes, in those instances, God speaks through dreams to give them a warning or to reiterate a promise or speak of things to come. In the Old Covenant Scriptures, there are 15 instances when God speaks to man through dreams. In Genesis chapter 20, God gives a warning to Abimelech from sleeping with Abraham's wife. He had been led to believe that she was not married, but God warns him not to touch Sarah. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending a ladder between heaven and earth. And God speaks to Jacob 
promising him that he will give him the land that he is lying on and that his descendants will be as numerous as the dust on the earth and that they will possess the land of Canaan. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 10 through 13, God speaks to Jacob and tells him in a dream to return to his native land. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 24, God warns Laban not to say anything good or bad to Jacob as he heads home. Then we have Joseph's first dream about his brother's sheaves bound down to his sheaf. We can read about this first and second dream in Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. In the second dream, he has a similar dream where the sun and the moon bows down to him. His brothers, as well as his father, understand the dreams to suggest that he will rule over them. And these dreams are not well received by his family. Later, in Genesis chapter 40, the chief cupbearer gets a dream about three branches, which represents three days of his restoration to Pharaoh's court. Then the chief baker, as we have seen, does share his dream about the three baskets, which also represents three days, but it ends with his execution. In Genesis chapter 41, as we have just seen, Pharaoh has two dreams. The first dream is about the seven cows coming out of the Nile, grazing, but seven lean cows devour the fat ones. Pharaoh's second dream is similar, but about lean ears of grain devouring plump ears. Both of these dreams complement each other, as we have seen, and they signify that Egypt will undergo a severe famine. Then in Judges chapter 7, verse 13, we have an unnamed man who actually gets a dream concerning a runaway barley loaf foreshadowing Gideon's victory over the Midianites. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 through 15, God appears to King Solomon and he offers him anything he wishes. Solomon chooses wisdom. God is pleased and grants him blessings as well as peace during his kingdom reign as well as abundant riches. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream concerning a statue that is made out of different materials that symbolize the rise and the fall of different kingdoms. It's a dream that does not see its immediate fulfillment as it gets fulfilled throughout many generations. Later, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream concerning a tree which actually predicts his seven years of insanity. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a dream concerning four beasts with ten horns judged by God. The beast represents four kingdoms and the Son of Man is given dominion. This is another dream that does not get immediately fulfilled but takes place 
in future generations. In the New Covenant Scriptures, there are six dreams. The first one appears in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. And Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, receives a word in a dream not to divorce Mary, and that the child who is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 2, there are four dreams recorded. First, in verse 12, the Magi's are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Second, we have Joseph who is instructed in a dream in verse 13 to take Jesus and Mary and to escape to Egypt because Herod wants Jesus dead and that they should remain in Egypt until they are instructed otherwise. Third, in verse 19, still in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 2, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and instructs him to leave Egypt for the land of Israel. And fourth, in verse 24, when Joseph heard that Herod's son, Archelaus, was reigning in Judea, he was worried about his family's safety, so he was warned in a dream to go to Galilee. Finally, the last dream recorded in the New Covenant Scriptures, which is the sixth one, is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, where Pontius Pilate's wife has a troubling dream concerning Jesus. While her husband is presiding over his trial, she sends him a message to not have anything to do with the trial, as Jesus is innocent, but Pilate does not heed her message. So these are all the dreams that are recorded in the Bible. God speaks to us through dreams, but we should be very cautious in not thinking that every single dream we have is a prophetic dream or a dream to warn us against danger or a promise, an immutable promise from the Lord. No, we have dreams that are regular dreams so that when we lay our heads to rest, we are resting and dreaming, but the Holy Spirit will reveal to us, will convict us when the dream has significance. So when you have a dream and you feel that that dream is important, seek the Lord, pray and ask confirmation from the Lord, and He will guide you and show you if indeed that dream has significance. From this passage, we also learn that God loves humility. Joseph was a humble man, and he never tried to get credit for this gift that the Lord had placed in his life to interpret dreams. He never manipulated or bribed anyone for an interpretation of a dream. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, we read that God desires that we be clothed in humility. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, and it says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. This is what God said to King Solomon. When King Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in doing everything that he had in mind to do for the Lord, God appeared to him and said this to him pertaining to Israel. What was at the center of God's heart was that ancient Israel would be humble so that as they prayed and sought his face and turned from their wicked ways, he would hear their prayers. And so humility was foundational and is foundational in our lives if we want to be received of the Lord and be in right standing with the Lord before we even pray, before we even seek his face, we ought to be humble. The word that was given from God to King Solomon and to Israel is beneficial in our own lives. Humility is pleasing to the Lord and foundational in our prayers being heard from heaven and even in receiving salvation. Throughout the scriptures, we see the benefits that comes from humility. I would like to share seven of them and provide a scripture reference for each of those benefits. Number one, when we are humble, we receive wisdom. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 says that when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Number two, when we are humble, we receive honor. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Number three, when we humble ourselves, we receive favor. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Number four, when we are humble, we receive guidance. Psalms chapter 25 verse 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Number five, when we are humble, we receive teaching. And this comes from the same verse we just read from Psalms chapter 25 verse 9. It says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Number six, when we humble ourselves, we receive salvation. Psalms chapter 18 verse 27 says that you, speaking of God, saves the humble but bring low those whose eyes are awry. And then in Psalms chapter 149 verse 4, it says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Number seven, when we humble ourselves, we are exalted. James chapter four, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 
and a similar verse is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, which says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Finally, number eight, when we humble ourselves, we receive greatness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 4, reminds us that whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. From these eight points, we can confidently say that Joseph benefited from all of them. God's favor was with Joseph. We saw that with Potiphar, who was quick to promote him to being his attendant. Because, as we read in Genesis chapter 39, verse 3 and 4, he saw that the Lord was with him and that he was giving him success in everything he did. So he found favor in the eyes of Potiphar, who promoted him as his attendant by putting him in charge of his household and entrusting to his care everything he owned. Joseph was wise and was able to discern right from wrong when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him to go to bed with her. Rather than listening to his fleshly desires and yielding to her advances, he resisted and he did what was right in the eyes of God and submitted to his conscience guidance in doing what is morally right in the eyes of God. In fact, I would add that Joseph's wisdom was very crucial in saving him and the nation that would experience the blessing of the Lord through his obedience. In the end, God honored, exalted Joseph to greatness, and he was mature to recognize that his overall experience from being thrown to a pit, to prison, to prison, and rising up to the palace was all part of God's greater purpose. God had been teaching him his way. It might take some people a long time to learn such an invaluable life lesson, but Joseph understood, as we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 21, that although his brothers had intended to harm him, God had intended it for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. From this passage, we also learn that God rewards faithfulness. Sometimes when we face difficult circumstances, it's hard for us to see a light at the end of the tunnel. However, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, we are encouraged to not become wary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And this is exactly what Joseph did. He persevered through. He had been in Egypt already for 13 years, and although he had seen the favor of God upon his life during that time, he could not deny the injustice he had suffered at the hand of his brothers, then the false accusations from Mrs. Potiphar. Yet, here is 
Joseph's humble, or should I say puny, request in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14 and 15, when he spoke to the chief cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph never asked retribution, but justice, and in the end, he was exalted in a way he could never have imagined, being second in command to Pharaoh. This was clearly God's hand at work. Finally, from this passage, we learn that God has a purpose and time for everything. When you do right, you might not get to be rewarded right away. At 17 years of age, Joseph is thrown into a pit. Then he spends some time in prison and now at age 30, he rises to the palace. It has been 13 years. God's timing in promoting Joseph was not simply for his sake and rewarding him for his faithfulness, but even more so for the sake of Egypt and the surrounding nations that would be going through a, a dire famine. So indeed, in the end, although his brothers met it for evil, God met it for the good of many to be saved. Precious Heavenly Father, how amazing it is to reflect on Joseph's journey. I am simply left downfounded by the work of your hands in his life. This is how you work in every single one of our lives. And I thank you for opening the scriptures to give me a clear perspective. This encourages me to persevere through my light afflictions. Thank you for giving me such a perspective that even though some people might mean evil, or the devil might scheme to harm me or those I love. You, God, work all things together for my good because I love you and I am called according to your, your purposes. In fact, Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 provide me even more encouragement. It reminds me that your thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are our ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways, and your thoughts than our thoughts. So I pray, Father, that I would align myself with your thoughts, with your ways, and that my listeners would do the same as well. I pray for those who have a personal relationship with you that they would come to grow in understanding that in spite of the circumstances in their lives, you have not abandoned them. 
but you are working all things for their goods because they love you and they are called according to your purposes. For the listeners who do not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that today they would humble themselves in accepting this gift of eternal life that you freely give to whomever surrenders their lives to you. As Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. May they come to know you, Lord, for what is more fulfilling than having a personal relationship with you, Lord? Nothing. There is nothing that compares to having a personal relationship with you. This I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Precious Mighty Warriors, it has been such a joy to have brought this lesson to you. It's a simple lesson, but I hope it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord. And if it is your first time tuning in, I would encourage you to check my website, ColetteCorea.com. And to get in touch with me if you have any questions by going in the contact section and letting me know if you have any questions. Meanwhile, I look forward to having you join me next week. May God bless you. Goodbye, my friend.